The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I went back and forth and back and forth and trying to figure out what to do here on this Friday show because you want the Friday shows to be a little bit more special. And sometimes it's just not that easy, like right now when there's no news. Nothing. Well, a little bit of news. A little bit of news. But, you know, from a fantasy standpoint, we're at a bit of an impasse, and I'll explain why. It's not just because there aren't any games playing. It's because there's this indefinite tag on the season right now. It's the same thing as when... uh, Who's a good example? Norman Powell or Carl Anthony Towns or someone out this year was just out indefinitely. I think Powell's a better example because he was having a great year. Much the way the NBA season has been quite fun for us. But then he was out. Different bunch of different things over the course of the year. Out. Indefinitely. And no real updates on when he was getting closer until finally he goes from doubtful to questionable and then he's just back. And what does that leave for us on the fantasy side? Well, we never really knew if we could just hang on to him. Is he going to be back in two weeks? Great. I'll stick with it. Is it going to be two and a half months? Well, then you probably need to move on. Timeline's not all that dissimilar from what we're talking about on the will we ever get any games back? Is it going to be a month and a half, two months, or is it going to be three or three and a half months? Does it matter? The indefinite tag has put us in this bind But what I've decided to do, the indefinite tag, by the way, the bind is that you can't treat the season as over yet because something might come up and change all of that. And then you have to redo your work. You know, it's like I worked in minor league baseball for a long time. You guys know that. I also wrote the game recaps for all 140 games most seasons that I was in the minors. And I probably broadcasted about a thousand games and I wrote the recap on about a thousand games. And over the course of a year, you get into some, let's choose our words carefully here, slow games. Games where the score is 9 to nothing in the fourth inning and you know you're pretty much cooked for the day. You start to write the recap before the game is done. I am guilty of this. Sixth, seventh inning comes around, I start to write the recap. I get a, I got a pretty good idea of what's going on here. I can write a story that is built around the idea that one team got off to a quick start and then went on to win the ball game. And then I'll fill in some details later. Who scored what in the late innings? Did it matter? Here's who hit a home run, blah, 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 strikeouts, etc. Right now, we're in kind of a similar thing with the NBA. We're in a bind because if we knew definitively that the season was either coming back or not coming back, we could analyze the season as such you know if the nba came out tomorrow and said you know what we're done with the regular season we're going to come back teams are going to warm up for two weeks on their practice facilities get their conditioning up and then we're going to start the playoffs with the the seeds the way they are right now well at least we could then start our season in review we could dive into the a post-mortem season here on the podcast which we normally do as soon as the regular season ends going through all 30 teams one by one one team per show That last year, you may recall, took us 
from mid-April to about the end of May. And then there's a few weeks mixed in there. Well, actually, it might have been even before the post-mortems. Uh, on the teams themselves, we had a week or two of kind of post-mortem from a fantasy standpoint. What did we learn? What what lessons that we applied worked? What didn't work? That gets us to the draft. Spend a couple of days talking about that, largely with people on the podcast that know more than I do. And then you're at free agency, and you start it all over again. And then it's mock draft time. But this year, we're all twisted up. Because three weeks ago, the season was suspended. Three and a half weeks ago now, I guess. And since then, we just don't know. So I thought to myself, well, you know, I could come on this Friday show and just keep breaking down picks from our mock draft. And I probably will do some of that next week. Maybe Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday shows. Something like that. Doesn't matter. Don't hold me to it. We'll get Brew on here uh, in the next couple of days as well. Talk a little bit about what he's doing with his leagues, with his teams, how the season went, some thoughts on the overarching fantasy landscape. That'll be in the next few days. But today, I wanted it to be something that could stick with us through the weekend. So what we're going to do for one day, this Friday show, is assume that things are done. Hypothetically, and it might end up being the case, We're going to assume that the season is over and we're going to look at some of the top draft picks from last year. The first round, the second round, some of the biggest names in fantasy, where they went and where they ended up. That'll be the plan for today's podcast. I am Dan Bespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today. I'm at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Thanks, as always, for tuning in in the quarantine spending time with us here on the pod. It's very kind of you because Lord knows, I know we're all looking for stuff to do, but we also have a laundry list of family things to take care of and so forth. So it's cool that some of you guys are still checking us out and and, uh, hanging out with us here on the podcast. So here's what we're going to do because there are a few different numbers that have uh, statistical relevance here. I'd like to try to do the top 25 on today's podcast, but we'll see if we can actually get that far. And what we're going to look at is pre-rank, meaning where the Yahoo experts had particular players. ADP and final rank. Now remember, this is all a precursor to one of my favorite things to do in all of fantasy sports. And that is find out how good the big box sites did with their selections before the season started. Because that's basically what the pre-rank or the O-rank or the X-rank or whatever Yahoo's calling it on a year-to-year basis, that's basically their template for building the draft window for next season. Once you master the draft window, you're unstoppable. I mean, really. You're, that, really, that's all, that, that's all it takes. So we'll start at the top. We'll do the first example, and then we'll work from there. Number one, by preseason rank, was Anthony Davis. He was also the highest ADP, or the, he was the, the lowest, I guess, ADP. Highest by, if you're working your way down the chart, lowest by actual number. He was the first, generally the first pick player overall in fantasy. And he finished the season as the number one player on a per-game basis in nine-cat in fantasy as well. Not that far ahead of James Harden, but 
enough. They got a little bit of separation there over the last uh, week or two of the season when Harden slowed down a tad, and AD kind of kept chugging along, chugging along at his normal clip. So AD drafted first, was ranked first, finished first. It's one of those times, and I, you know, it's funny. You look at this this type of guy and think, what the hell are you going to talk about on the Anthony Davis front, Dan? I actually think this is one of the most interesting names we'll talk about. Largely because sometimes people overthink things. Oh, Anthony Davis, he doesn't play in enough ball games. He does when he matters. The seasons that the Pelicans were trying to make runs, he played every single damn game that he could. And he's been really reliable for the Lakers. played in 55 games before the season was suspended. I'm going to hearken back to a hot take I threw out there before the season started. I said, if the guys drafted... In the top five by ADP, which was Cat, Giannis, Steph, Harden, Anthony Davis, I said, here's your hot take. Anthony Davis is going to play in the most games of any of them this season. Now, would that have been the case if we had played out the, the entire rest of the year? Probably not. James Harden had six more games than AD at the time the season was terminated. Giannis had uh, a couple of additional games over AD. He was at 57. Anthony was at 55. So that one ground there certainly could have been made back. Giannis had just actually missed a couple of ball games prior to the season getting suspended. So AD might have caught him in that last week. And then everybody was like, oh, well, Cat, you take because he's the durable one. He didn't play at all this year. Steph got hurt early. AD had a shot to be actually the second most games played in that bunch. Guys are hurt until they're not, they're healthy until they're not, so on and so forth. It's one of those things where when he's right, there's really no one in the NBA that can pass Anthony Davis for that number one seed, that number one result in nine category leagues. Now, obviously, James Harden has a huge advantage in eight cat where the two turnover per game differential gets wiped out. And in head-to-head, you can make a very reasonable argument for either one of those guys. Harden scores more, hits more threes, has more assists, uh, free throw percent. He has a larger positive impact mark. Anthony Davis has field goal percent. I mean, he's good at free throws too, make no mistake. Uh, Vastly superior in blocks, basically dead heat in steals. He's going to beat him in rebounds. So there's there's an argument to be made for both sides, especially in head-to-head. Roto... You know me, I was taking AD number one, and we feel good about that. Number two was generally James Harden. In terms of ADP, he was drafted second. Oddly enough, he was number four by pre-rank on Yahoo this year. I think there was an expectation that Russell Westbrook was going to put a bigger dent into him than he actually did. And so Harden ended up hitting his ADP. This is a spot where the public got it right, if you want to call it that way. I, I mean, I think we at Hoopball, I believe, had those two guys in the top couple of spots in 9-cat, and I'm fairly certain that Harden was number one in 8-cat, so make of that what you will. But someone behind the scenes at Yahoo had him downgraded a little bit, and so that allowed Harden to slip past the second draft spot in some formats. And overall, his ADP was listed, he was the number two guy, but only by a hair ahead of Steph Curry, who I really like this year. And if I had a the third or fourth pick in almost any of my leagues, I probably would have taken him. I consider myself extremely fortunate that I didn't have almost any high draft picks in my leagues. And so I didn't end up with a bunch of Stephs 
that would have completely ruined my fantasy teams. And that's bad luck. You're like, well, he's injury prone. He has ankle issues. Yeah, he broke his wrist and missed the entire season. That's a pretty different thing. I had an interesting feeling that Steph is going to fall to fourth, fifth, or maybe even sixth in drafts this coming year, and I will scoop him up hard. He's still brilliant. He's still amazing. You can't assume that something like this is going to happen two years in a row. You know me. I'm always about taking the safe guys in the first rounds, but it's, you know, you, you take Steph. It's not like you're expecting 15, 16, 20 missed ball games. He had been relatively durable. You got to think that some of it is just playing so many games so many years in a row. So he was the third by pre-rank and by ADP, finished, uh, you know, non-existent. He played five games this year, so that's basically a wash. There's a whole lot you can say about it. Had he played the entire season, I think Steph actually would have shot it in the number one spot. We'll never know. We'll never know. The fourth pre-ranked player, which we already mentioned was James Harden, fourth in ADP was Giannis. You guys know my stance on Giannis. He's the number 18 guy in 9-cat, which, by the way, tells you how good he is in some categories, that the worst free-throw impact player in the entire NBA at a high-volume 60, very high-volume 63%, was still... A second-round pick. It's hard to be that high when you're that bad at one category. That said, there was some slippage for Giannis this year. You might look at his numbers and say, well, his scoring went up again. Yeah, it did, from 27.7 to 29.6. And his rebounding has been colossal at 13.7. That's crazy. However, field goal percent came back down. Free throw percent way down. He added uh, 0.83 pointers from season over season, but frankly, I don't care because he still can't shoot them. So all it does is hurt his overall field goal percent. Assists stay the same, turnovers stay the same. Both steals and blocks went down for the third consecutive season. If you wipe out the fact that his blocks basically stagnated the previous two years, he was at 1.9. In 2016, 2017, then he was at 1.5 for a couple years in a row, and then this year he was at 1. This is his lowest mark in blocks or steals since 2014, 2015. Basically the first year that he had any kind of feature role on the Bucks. And this will happen as guys get bigger and stronger and older and don't have to play as many minutes. This is also the fewest minutes per game Giannis had played since his rookie year. So some of it is just time on the court. Not all of it, though. The per minute was down also. If you added another 20% to his steals and blocks, you still don't get him up to that 2.9 combined mark that he had uh, two seasons back. You get him to 2.4. So there's been some slippage with Giannis, particularly in the defensive stats. And so he's going to end up going, even in 9-cat, he's going to end up going in the top five probably again and I'll keep trying to talk you guys out of it because until I see him fix his free throw percent, even though he's now starting to hit some three-pointers at a brutally low clip, until he fixes the free throw percent or even maybe the threes get better, he's never going to get over that final hump, especially with the defensive stats trending down. 
We got a long way to go before next year. We'll, I'm sure, have a better idea of what's going on around him. Cat, who was pre-ranked two, had an ADP of five. He was the fifth player taken on average in Yahoo and was right around that mark when he was healthy. He was putting up a great fantasy season. He was a fifth-ranked guy on a per-game basis. He was higher than that before he had some games with lower minute counts. 51% from the field, 80 at the free-throw line, 3.3 three-pointers a game, 26 and 11, four and a half assists, a steal, 1.2 blocks. I mean, he really was putting together a brilliant fantasy campaign before the injuries obliterated it. I don't think people are going to hold it against him all that much. I feel like he had established enough clout as a healthy, reliable first rounder that he'll still go inside the top five next year. I just, I can't, I can't see why he wouldn't. And I'm fine with that. I mean, this is by all accounts a reasonable pick. If you could, took Cat at three, four, or five, you got the right guy. He just didn't play in games. It finally all caught up with him. Nikola Jokic was pre-ranked six, and he was the number six ADP guy. Guess everybody got that one right. Finished at number nine on a per-game basis. Much higher than that by totals. He played in 65 games before the season was suspended, so extremely durable. Got off to a, a crazy slow start, as usual. Fat Jokic slowly trimming down over the course of the year. Ended up with 20, 10, and 7. 1.9 to combined defensive stats, a three-pointer, 53% from the field, 81 at the free-throw line, and three turnovers a game. Great season for Jokic. He's made a case to be drafted in that same territory again. Or, if you're really feeling saucy, this is going to take some stones on your part. You're going to have to let him swing a little on this. You pass up on Jokic. Let's say you have the sixth or seventh pick next year, and he falls to you there. You pass up on Jokic for someone like... I don't know, Kawhi, or do you take a chance on Embiid? Is Dame still on the board? Is LeBron worth gambling on another year? Do you go crazy and do something like Trey Young? Probably not in 9-cat. Do you take Kyrie Irving? No, no chance. I mean, then at that point, you're reaching a little bit. And then, this is the crazy part, skipping over Jokic is only a little bit crazy by itself if you're able to get someone like Lillard. But the 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 nutty part is, let's say you've got like the 8th, 7th or 8th pick, which means you're in the middle of your round. So you're, you know, somewhere in that 16, 17, 18 range coming back the other way. What if you get someone in that range that gets off to a hot start? What if it was Doncic this year? It was a first-rounder for two and a half months this season, and then his free-throw percent, both percentages, just completely knocked him off what he was doing. Now it's your moment. One month into the year, trade a hot second-rounder for Jokic because you know what's going to happen. And that's a strategy. That's a way to end up with two first-rounders if you can pull it off. Easier said than done, I know, because when we were staring down the barrel of Jokic right around number 55 after a month and a half this year, everybody, myself included, was thinking, geez, is it going to happen? Like, how long are we going to have to wait? This is, even by Jokic standards, this is a slow start. And then, sure enough, he came roaring back. It is what it is what it is. So I don't know. Maybe you guys got the nuts to try it out. It'd be amazing. I'd love to hear about somebody pulling it off. Skipping Jokic in the first round, 
playing for the buy low early in the season. By ADP, LeBron James was the seventh highest player drafted in fantasy this last year. He was pre-ranked nine, and his final ranking, as of now, by averages, was 10. So everybody was relatively close. He's always going to get a tiny bit overdrafted because his name is LeBron James, but he had a great season. And the thing that's always going to screw him up is the free throw percent. He's another case study in how you just can't get inside the top five if you can't hit a damn free throw. You can't be that bad in one category. Really two, because he had four turnovers a game and nine cats. So he got two that were screwing him up in a big way. And then he was quite good in basically everything else. Led the league in assists, eight rebounds, 26 points, two threes, 50% from the field. There's a lot to love about LeBron James' season. The fact that he's still inside the first round this late in his career is amazing. He's probably going to get drafted at 8 or 9 next year, and I'm probably not going to be willing to make that play because of the free throw percent. You guys know how obsessed I am with the percentage categories. I'm probably going another way. Ah, well. Interestingly enough, Joel Embiid actually had a higher ADP this year than Damian Lillard. So Embiid was the number 8 player drafted. And this, by the way, is the impact of the Yahoo pre-ranks. Embiid was pre-ranked 7, Lillard was 8, and it convinced enough people to go the Embiid route over Dame. And you know those folks are kicking themselves now because Joel once again missed a bunch of games and actually underperformed on a per-game basis. 47% from the field, you'd love to see that a little bit higher given how unbelievably skilled he is around the bucket. Like the 82% free throw shooting, that's solid. Rebounding was good. Steals and blocks were fine. But, you know, it just didn't blow everybody away the way that we had all hoped. And for me, Embiid, I, I strongly considered him. I got to draft day and I was like, this is a guy that's probably going to miss 15 basketball games. Can he do enough? Can his per game mark be high enough to make up for those missed games? Well, the answer we're seeing, at least with this iteration of the 76ers, is no. He's going to have trouble staying healthy. They want to keep his minutes down a little bit because of that. He's going to set out some back-to-backs. He's getting another, He's another tough guy that I would have a really tough time drafting inside the top eight. Damian Lillard was the next guy on the ADP chart, and frankly, he should have been higher. Dame was, uh, what did I have that at? So he's the ninth? I lost track of my numbers. I think LeBron was 7-8. Yeah, so Dame was ninth in ADP. His pre-rank was also 8. He finished at number 6. It just gets better. He just keeps getting better. 46% from the field, 89 high-volume free throw, 29 points, 4 boards, 8 assists, 4 three-pointers, and a steal. Good Lord. I mean, you could really take this guy inside the top five and know that he's not going to get to the top five, but he's going to be close enough that you're good. I wouldn't. I mean, if you have a pick in the top five, you take a guy that could end up inside the top three. That's the whole point. Dame is never going to be a top three guy because there is just some limitations. Doesn't do a ton on the defensive side. Field goal percent probably isn't getting any better than this mark. And then the rest of this stuff is as good as it's going to get. But damn, he's reliable. I love building a team around Damian Lillard. You just, you know what you're going to get. That's that safe first round. Safe. Tenth player drafted last year was Kawhi Leonard. 
This is one that you may recall we kind of talked ourselves into on the podcast. I started the offseason last year by saying, you know what, I don't think I can draft this guy, knowing he's going to miss 13 games at a bare minimum. How do you spend a first-round pick on a guy who's going to max out at 69 ball games? Well, I spent some time, and you guys probably came with me on this weird mental... <laughs> going to say uh, coming-of-age story. My mental coming-of-age story on trying to figure out Kawhi Leonard this last year. You probably heard me uh, week to week I was changing how I felt about him because really when it got to about fantasy draft time and I was looking at Kawhi and thinking, okay, well, you know, he maxes out at 69 games. He's probably going to miss a few more for something along the way. Let's aim for 65. 65 is the target. Anything above that, gravy, Anything within a few games of that on the lower side, acceptable. And you've gotten to a point now in your draft where you're debating between Bradley Beal, Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving, Jimmy Butler, Drew Holiday. We're, we're pretty much the guys going, and maybe Andre Drummond, in that group of players when you got outside the top seven or eight. And so you weighed a few things against each other. Okay, well... If you're going the Bradley Beal route, which, by the way, ended up being a perfectly reasonable route to go. He finished at number 12 and climbing, because he was incredible the second half of the season. Not the wrong pick by any stretch, but here was my argument in my own head. If I could get Beal, I often would, because I felt like his ability to get closer to 82 games was going to make up the difference. Even if Beal ended up as, you know, the number 12 guy by average and Kawhi was number 6 by average, I figured... You give one of those guys 10 to 12 games over the other one, that'll make up the difference. As it turned out this year, Beal played in seven more games than Kawhi Leonard. And that wasn't enough to make up the difference. But it wasn't because Beal was bad. It was actually because Kawhi was even better than we could have ever anticipated. He finished the season as the number three player by averages. Kawhi Leonard, fantastic fantasy season, and I am eternally grateful for the different pros that came on this show and pointed out a few things, namely that the baseline for games played in the NBA right now is much closer to the low 70s than the high 70s. So any of these other guys you're drafting at this point, Beal, Irving, Butler, who the hell else did I just say? Uh, Drew Holiday, Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Andre Drummond. You're looking at them, you're like, can I trust any of these guys to play 75 or more games? You probably say Trey has a good shot to get there because he tends to play through stuff. Beal had done it before, but this was going to be a bad year for the Wizards, so you had to assume he was going to miss some games down the stretch. He ended up missing them a little bit earlier in the year. So then you step back, you're like, all right, well, you know, if those guys are going to be only playing 72, 73 games... And Kawhi's at 65, 66. A five or six game span there, Kawhi could make that up because on a per game basis, he is significantly better. You just knew he would be. Because Paul George was starting the year hurt, which meant it was going to be Kawhi and a whole heavy dose of him. Then George got hurt again. And for Leonard, by all accounts, he had his best fantasy season ever. He was on pace to play a decent chunk of games. Somewhere in the mid-60s, it was looking like. Which is exactly what we ex had expected. Highest scoring mark of his career. Barely over last year in Toronto. 
Field goal percent was down, but free throw percent was great. Three-pointers were where you needed them. Rebounds were the same as last year. Assists were way up with the Clippers. That was a big deal for him. And the blocks were actually up a tiny bit, although that, again, was not the big-time difference maker for him. The big-time difference maker was the fact that he became an elite passer. He'd never been over three and a half assists uh, a game in his career, and he was at five this year. That's huge. One and a half assists a ball game is like adding an extra center or forward to your roster. That's a big deal. That's how he goes from, you know, sixth-ranked per-game guy to third. Stop for a minute and think of what could have happened if he actually shot the ball closer to 49% where his career mark was. He was two percentage points down, or we could have been talking about Kawhi Leonard as the runaway number three guy on a per-game basis. As it stands, he was pretty close to guys like Cat, Kyrie, and Damian Lillard. But he was almost in a group all by himself. That's how good he was this year. That probably also means he's going to get a little bit overdrafted next year. After being, I would venture to say, underdrafted this season. Even coming off the nice year with Toronto, people just really freak out about load management. Even though half the league is load managing, half the top guys are at least. How many of these dudes drafted up at the top of the charts were really piling up games played? Anthony Davis admit what? Missed what? Seven, eight, nine games? Harden plays in most of them. Kawhi missed a bunch of games. Cat missed a ton. Kyrie barely played at all. Even Lillard missed three weeks with his groin thing. Jokic, super durable. Beal missed eight, seven, eight games. LeBron missed a couple, not many. Jimmy Butler missed a bunch of games. Joel Embiid missed a ton of games. Giannis has missed seven or eight games. Everybody's missing something. Kawhi was not that much far be- not much farther behind than the rest of these guys. He's at what? Missed like 10, 11 games he missed at this point. Pretty good argument to take him ahead of a lot of these guys next year as well. Bradley Beal was the next guy off the board, which I think we're at what? Number 11 now? Should write this down, Dan. 11th in ADP, 10th in pre-rank, finished 12th and climbing. Good pick. He's going to take a big hit next year. He'll be overdrafted. Doesn't matter how good he's been, he's not going to have the opportunity to take 23 shots a ball game with John Wall back. Just not going to happen. Bradley Beal might even be a buy low next year as they try to work John Wall back in beginning of the season. You see him try to work his buddy back into the mix, take fewer shots, find his place again. I would skip Bradley Beal in the first couple of rounds, see if I could buy low with a hot third or fourth rounder partway through the year. I still think he'll be inside the top 25, maybe even inside the top 20, but probably not a first-rounder. Kyrie Irving was the number 12 player taken by ADP. He was 11th in pre-rank. He was actually 4th on a per-game basis this year, but he only played in 20 games. That's a tough one to stomach for a lot of reasons. Number one, we probably should have been more cognizant of the fact that this was a warm-up year for Brooklyn. But you just... You know, you just hope, you hope that a player, even like Kyrie, would get in, I don't know, 60 games out of 82, playing like three quarters of the games for the team, two thirds I would even accept, but he just didn't have it. Question is, is he going to be a value next year? 
I think a lot of people are going to be petrified to take Kyrie next season, playing alongside Kevin Durant and coming off of all of these massive injuries this year. But let me remind all of you guys, previous season, he played 67 games for the Celtics and was the number nine fantasy player for Boston. That's on a Boston team that also had the likes of uh, Jason Tatum on the board. Now, they did have a few guys out the uh, previous year, but Gordon Hayward was back even if he wasn't doing very much. They had Jalen Brown. Uh, Marcus Smart was on that team. Al Horford was on that team. It was a different makeup. I bring this all up because as you look at towards next year in Brooklyn, by the way, Kyrie took 18 and a half shots a game for Boston, averaged about 24 points per game. For the Nets, he took 21 shots per game and averaged 27 and a half points. So some of what we saw in the jump there was simply volume, two and a half extra shots per ball game. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw the Nets without one of Karis LeVert or Spencer Dinwiddie, or potentially even both. Now, we'll find out more about that if we ever have a normal offseason, so who, who knows, really. It's possible that all of these ideas get obliterated because of the weird format that we're going to have with this season and or offseason. But still, Kevin Durant, by the way, took 18 shots a game in Golden State. He's going to be good next year. I think there's going to be a few things with KD that aren't quite all the way where they need to be for a while. Kyrie Irving, I'm betting, falls well out of the first round. I don't think anybody's going to trust him. And there's going to be a volume hit for him from this year where he was, again, posting top five per game numbers. I mean, he was up in that top chunk outside of AD and James Harden. He was really in the 1B tier with the big volume, 33 minutes per game, 21 shots per night. And I know, the, and so the thought is, well, what does he fall back to? I would assume that he falls back to basically what he was doing in Boston as sort of the other guy. He was number 14 the year before that, also in Boston. We'll go back, just keep going back farther and farther on Kyrie Irving season over season. He was number 17 with Cleveland when he played 72 ball games. But by the way, his stat line wasn't that different. In fact, his percentages were still excellent going back to that one. I think there were just more guys putting up giant numbers. Twenty-five, three, and six that last year in Cleveland. How does that compare to this year? Twenty-seven, five, and six. It's not that different. Better rebounding numbers. Maybe those come down a little bit. I still think the point I'm getting to here, because this is going to be the last guy we do on today's show. Forget twenty-five names. We're just going to do the first round, top twelve. Is that even if Kyrie Irving takes a volume hit, which he will. He's not going to be a top five guy. But I'm betting he gets drafted in that sort of late early, if that makes sense, late early second round. He's not going to be on the turn, I don't think. I think he'll fall farther than that. You saw him go in the 10 to 13 range this year. With the injuries and Kevin Durant coming back, I think you probably see him go more in the 13 to 17 range. And if he falls towards the end of that bucket, 
Like, if I could get Kyrie at 16 or 17, I'm doing it. Because I think he still puts up first-round value on a per-game basis. I still think you're looking at someone right around number 10. And I think you're looking at about 67, 68 ball games. They want him in there. He's going to want to play. They need as many games as possible with he and Durant to figure things out. And he's incredibly efficient, which you guys know I love. Guys that are good in both percentages and really don't hurt you. He hurts you no place, which is remarkable. He's a point guard. I think he'll be a value next year. So that's your group. That's how the first round went this last year. That's how they performed, and that's how I think they'll go next year. Coming up next week on Fantasy NBA Today, we'll put a pin in this discussion. We'll come back to the mock draft results. Again, we'll try to get Aaron Bruski on at some point during the week, do a little bit of season and review stuff, and perhaps we'll have some more information on the league as a whole. The little piece of news that happened on Friday, if that's when you're listening to this podcast, is that the Bulls are finally moving bodies around in their front office. We don't really know what that all means, but it sounds like Garpax may finally be losing power at the top. Does that also mean Jim Boylan loses power? We can dream. I'm Dan Vespers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Have a great weekend. Keep staying safe, everybody. Look forward to talking to you all on Monday. Uh, Continued health. That's all we're at at this point. Let's wish for the best. Please stay safe. Stay distant. Flatten the curve. Hopefully we can get games at some point. At some point. Not that soon, but also hopefully not never. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.